Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This war on jokes must end. Will Smith didn't get kicked out of the Oscars for going Ike Turner on Chris, but Kevin Hart got kicked out of hosting it for a joke. Who are these people who say cancel culture isn't a real thing? Just among comedians who've gotten fired and lost gigs for exercising their freedom of expression, the toll is high. Gilbert Gottfried and Kathy Griffin were tasteless. So what? That's why we like them. testing where the line is we can't always be perfect any more than tom brady will never throw an interception (laughs) dave chappelle lost distribution for his documentary and sarah silverman was fired from a film over an old sketch where she wore blackface to make fun of racism roseanne lost the tv show she created with her name on it over tweets that were very offensive But not at all clear Roseanne knew them to be. She is crazy, and I say that as a friend. Good morning. It's Wednesday, Wasden Wednesday, August the 2nd, and this is The True Conservative. Welcome to all the butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers out there. I'm Ron, your host, and the only true conservative in the United States today. So today, after the serenity prayer and the patriotic song of the day, we will have consequences, Maria Bartiromo, illegal immigration, power, no free lunch, the rape of the mind, Tucker Carlson, Leo Terrell, Byron Donalds, Alex Epstein, Larry Elder, and SEAL Team 6. All that and more when I get back. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen.
Thank you, thank you. And now there's no free lunch. 250 Economic Truths by David Bonson. That business people buy low and sell high in a particularly alert and advantageous way does not make them bad unless all trading is bad. Unless when you yourself shop prudently, you are bad. Unless any tall poppy needs to be cut down. Unless we wish to run our ethical lives on the sin of envy. Deirdre N. McCloskey. This should be the most self-evident of statements, but because of the politics of envy that drives so much of modern economics, it is not. The transactions of successful business people are not evil when they are profitable any more than our own endeavors in transacting in the marketplace become suddenly noble when done foolishly or suddenly evil when done effectively. The derogatory way that so many speak of business success reveals an entire ecosystem of envy. And that was There's No Free Lunch by David Bonson. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. So who is the true conservative? He is the person that has the courage of his convictions and is confident in what he knows. He is the person that understands that culture trumps politics. He's not selfish, but minds his own business. He does not go looking for trouble. He is alert. He curbs his curiosity, and he acts like an adult. He is patriotic and uses common sense. He is judgmental and moralizes. He refuses to speculate, speaks clearly and definitively, and is not afraid to say no. He's open-minded, asking why, rather than why not. He is consistent, credible, and influential, not ashamed of his existence, unafraid to learn or correct his mistakes. He is a normal American, and he is better than the socialist. He's a better friend, father, brother, family member, and a better person, period. You have to know that, that being a true conservative is best, or you are wasting your time. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. So um, I found out from on Squawk Box that um, because all the indices, the futures were in the red, that uh, I guess they're called Moody's, a rating agency, uh, downgraded the credit rating or the credit worthiness of the United States uh, government, federal government, from uh, AAA to AA+. Plus. And uh, I'm of two minds to this. Number one, from a personal stand- standpoint, I'm rather... Um, disappointed because uh, you know that may affect me uh, personally and affect uh, affect my investments. For instance, stock market is now reacting, going down, etc. Also, it affects me from the standpoint it's embarrassing. Again, another embarrassment for American uh, citizens. But I am happy about the fact that this is also an embarrassment for the Biden administration. And President Biden in particular, this is what you get. It's called consequences. It's called reality. You don't get to to uh, have your cake and eat it too. If you're going to act irresponsible, you're going to have to suffer the consequences. And by the way, the uh, uh, White House and uh, the Treasury Secretary, so-called Treasury Secretary, uh, Janet Yellen, they're all jumping up and down, screaming and yelling, uh, and basically throwing a temper tantrum over uh, this uh, decision to downgrade American um, is still uh, American um, creditworthiness, but uh, it's still considered investment grade, so it's not 
really, really bad. But again, the point is, I'm of two minds on, the, on this. I don't like it from a personal standpoint, from the standpoint of being embarrassed as an American citizen. Uh, but on the other hand, I am glad that finally um, the Biden administration is beginning to suffer some consequences for uh, their uh, stupidity. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. And now, the rape of the mind. The indoctrination barrage. The continual intrusion into our minds of the hammering noises of arguments and propaganda can lead to two kinds of reactions. It may lead to apathy and indifference, the I don't care reaction, or to a more intensified desire to study and to understand. Unfortunately, the first reaction is the more popular one. The flight from study and awareness is much too common in a world that throws too many confusing pictures to the individual. For the sake of our democracy, based on freedom and individualism, we have to bring ourselves back to study again and again. Otherwise, we can become easy victims of a well-planned verbal attack on our minds and consciences. We cannot be enough aware of the continual coercion of our senses and minds. The continual suggestive attacks which may pass through the intellectual barriers of insight. Repetition and Pavlovian conditioning exhaust the individual and may seduce him ultimately to accept a truth he himself initially defied and scorned. The totalitarians are very ingenious in arousing latent guilt in us by repeating over and over again how criminally the Western world has acted toward innocent and peaceful people. The totalitarian may attack our identification with our leaders by ridiculing them making use of every man's latent, critical attitude toward all leaders. Sometimes they use the strategy of boredom to lull people to sleep. They would like the entire Western world to fall into a hypnotic sleep under the illusion of peaceful coexistence. In a more refined strategy, they would like to have us cut all our ties of loyalty with the past, away from relatives and parents. The more you have forsaken them and their so-called outmoded concepts, the better you will cooperate with those who want to take mental possession of you. Every political strategy that aims toward arousing fear and suspicion tends to isolate the insecure individual until he surrenders to those forces that seem to him stronger than his former friends. And last but not least, let us not forget that in the battle of arguments, those with the best and most forceful verbal strategy tend to win. The totalitarians organize intensive dialectical training for their subjects, lest their doubts get the better of them. They try to do the same thing to the rest of the world in a less obtrusive way. We have to learn to encounter the totalitarian's exhausting barrage of words with better training and better understanding. If we try to escape from these problems of mental defense or deny their complications, the Cold War will be gradually lost to the slow encroachment of words and more words. The iniquity and that was The Rape of the Mind by Juiced Mirlo, M.D. Thank you, thank you. Now a little bit of uh, Maria Bartiromo where she's interviewing a uh, congressman uh, let's see, I don't have his name uh, right in front of me, but she's interviewing a, a congressman. This is uh, interesting. Uh, wrecked them even more. It, it led to uh, the lockdowns in schools and, the, and 
people not being able to uh, not only go out, but not to be able to express themselves at home on social media. So this was really detrimental. And the Congress is going to respond uh, with legislation to make it a protected ability to express your views well, when you're online. Well, when? I mean, you know, I think the American people are beginning to get frustrated with you and your colleagues as well, with all due respect, sir. I mean, we've got 170 suspicious activity reports against the Biden family. How many people in America get one suspicious activity report? This family got 170 plus. You've got whistleblower testimony telling us that they were in the room when Joe Biden was on the phone uh, talking with uh, foreign business partners accepting millions of dollars from uh, now what is clear to be America's number one adversary. Are are you endorsing an inquiry into an impeachment at this point? When are you guys going to start moving? You're absolutely right to be mad. The American people are furious. And fortunately, those of us in the Freedom Caucus, those of us on House Judiciary are pushing our leadership to take action. And so you will see. So uh, the point that I wanted to make here is you notice what he did. She comes out and she confronts him. Good for her. And uh, perhaps she could have been a little bit stronger on that. But uh, she confronted instead of just kissing his ass, which most of the uh, talk show hosts do, uh, she goes ahead and confronts this guy and uh, demands to know when they're going to get off their dead butts and get something done. What does he do? He goes ahead and says, I feel your pain. This is the the tactic that is used. It is the tactic of the day, tactic of the year, is whenever somebody in politics, any politician is confronted about something, they say, oh, yes, uh, I, I agree with you. You're angry. You have every right to be angry. In essence, I feel your pain. What's the purpose of this? It is to uh, immediately get you to dissipate your anger. It's a psychological ploy. So and uh, so, and you notice what he does is first of all, yes, you're angry and you have a right to be angry. Second thing he does is he tells you that me and my friends are on your side. We're not the problem. The problem is the leadership. Now uh, she went ahead and did. Uh, let me see what she. Let's see what she does for follow up here. Judiciary moving in that direction uh, to make sure that we protect the free speech rights of Americans online. Now, we're also going to follow the facts where they lead with the Hunter and Biden investigation. And, you know, I wanted to talk about Devin Archer and his statements before the weaponization committee. Uh, the idea that uh, Hunter Biden was suggesting that uh, he buy burner phones, the idea that there was so much uh, that the president. Well, obviously nothing. She, he is now stalling, he is now filibustering, and she's allowing him to do it. What she should have done was stop him immediately and say, look, we're not going to go for this golly gee whiz act. Uh, we demand to know right this minute when you're going to act and what you're going to do. And if he doesn't have any answer for that, well, we can't, I can't tell you, I don't know, blah, whatever, then you say, you know what? Get off my show until you do. When you guys have some uh, uh, solution to this, when you have a somebody that you're going to impeach, you can come back on my show and announce it. Bye-bye. And get rid of him. Because otherwise, all she's doing is aiding and abetting this fool in uh, jerking around the American people. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. So I'm listening to uh, and watching uh, more of the, well, it's actually Stuart Varney, Varney and Company, and they're um, showing a a clip about uh, 
what's going on in New York City. All of these people that are uh, sleeping on the streets that are uh, immigrants or, yeah, illegal immigrants that are on the streets uh, sleeping. And again, I'm, a, I'm of two minds. On the one hand, I really f- uh, feel sorry for the uh, immigrants who are lured here. They came here... Well, I was going to say in good faith, but actually they didn't. Uh, they came across the border illegally. They knew what they were doing. And uh, so in a, in a manner of speaking, they're getting what they deserve as well. But the people that are uh, really getting punished that don't deserve it are is the average New Yorker, the, the city, American citizen, uh, New York resident, uh, and or green card holder in New York City that has to put up with this, has to try to walk around these people and uh, and apparently, again, uh, they use the uh, sidewalks as their toilet. Not only are they sleeping on the on the sidewalks, but uh, they urinate in the gutters and, and whatnot and create a, a, an unbelievable stench from what has been uh, reported. And again, I the on the one hand, I'm uh, feeling sorry for uh, the average New Yorker, uh, not so much for the illegal immigrants who are getting what they deserve. Uh, but also I'm feeling uh, glad that the administration in New York City, the one that was crowing and bragging about how they were, we're, we're the most compassionate people and we're open uh, borders and we are a, a sanctuary city and uh, thumbing their nose at the rest of the country, they're now getting what exactly what they deserve. Now, I hope that the average New Yorker is going to use this as a, an excuse to vote Adams and the other members of his administration out of office. Uh, and I think it's particularly delicious that uh, uh, the president, uh, President Biden refuses to help them. Uh, New York City's asked for various types of help, money and whatnot, and uh, the president so far is unwilling to provide them with that help. And uh, I find that ironic and uh, rather delicious. But uh, New Yorkers and the people and, uh, well, the New York uh, mayor's office and, and his administration and the illegal aliens are getting exactly what they deserve. And I'm happy about that. Uh, I am uh, not happy about the fact that uh, the average New Yorker is having to pay the price. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. And now, Stuart Varney's My Take. We're spending too much. We're borrowing too much. And there is no agreement on how to fix a growing financial mess. That's why America's just been downgraded. It happened under Obama. It's happened again now under Biden. The main reason is wild spending that brings an explosion of debt. It's what happened under Obama. It's what's happening again now. When you are $32 trillion in debt, you should not be planning trillions more in future spending and borrowing. This is a blow to President Biden. It damages his economic message for the election. His team was quick to respond. Treasury Treasury Secretary Yellen called the downgrade merely arbitrary. Karen Jean-Pierre blamed extremism by Republican officials. Senate leader Schumer blamed the reckless brinkmanship of House Republicans. And Democrat Richard Neal says the Republican Party is wholly responsible. Okay. There is another reason for the downgrade, apart from spending and debt. Erosion of governance. That is our inability to agree on spending and debt. Brinkmanship at budget time every year. That doesn't instill confidence in the future. 
The downgrade is actually a warning. If we keep expanding our debt, and that's exactly what we're doing, there will be at some point a debt crisis. Lenders become reluctant to lend. They demand higher interest rates to compensate for the extra risk. We go into recession. That means more debt, and the downward cycle accelerates. This is really serious stuff. Second hour, Vani, just getting started. So uh, he is uh, saying, keeps saying about here about we're not able to come to an agreement, and it frustrates me because uh, it's not a matter of agreement; it's a matter of power. Uh, the Democrats have known this and have been using power in the House of Representatives to their advantage and to the advantage of their people for um, a decade or so. Uh, they don't care about getting agreement. They don't care about getting consensus. All they care about is getting what they want. It is long past time, it seems to me, that Republicans need to exercise power and do it for to do what's best for the country. Make the cuts that are necessary. Uh, you, basically, you do what's right and let the chips fall where they may. Don't worry about the, what the Senate's going to do. Don't worry about whether or not the President of the United States is going to veto it. Do what's right for the country. Exercise power. And um, that's a step in the right direction. So uh, if they have any problems with that, they don't understand what power is all about. There's an excellent book by Robert Greene called The 48 Laws of Power. Maybe they should read it. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. And now, Tucker Carlson with Devin Archer. Right, and this is not a criticism of you. I would think as a business guy, um, you use every advantage. These are not business guys. This is the vice president of the United States. He's right. not allowed to be working on businesses with foreign governments while he's vice president. I don't think. Not that I know of. <laughs> but here he is. Right. Amazing. And that was Tucker Carlson and Mr. Archer. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. And now from Leo Terrell, the number one Donald Trump supporter. Hi, Leo 2.0 here. Uh, Jack Smith has indicted President Trump again. Let me be very clear, and I'm not bragging. I'm a much better lawyer than Jack Smith. He's a buffoon. He doesn't know how to practice law. This second indictment is frivolous. President Trump is being indicted for talking, for speaking. Conspiracy? An agreement among whom? Let me be very clear. I want to make sure the American public understands. President Trump is going to run for president. Nothing Jack Smith or the Democratic Party will do can stop President Trump from running for the White House. And he's going to win. He's going to win. So indict him a thousand times, a million times. American voters understand that they're targeting President Trump. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden are criminals. I could convict Joe Biden in court right now. This is crazy, America. And that was Leo Terrell, otherwise known as Leo 2.0, back in a minute.
Thank you, thank you. And now, uh, Representative Byron Donalds. Now, the president has told us time and time again, frankly, it's a lie, but the president has told us time and time again that he has no idea what his son is actually doing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we all know that is the dumbest thing we've all heard. I have three sons. I've been away from my sons for 10 days, but trust me, I know exactly what they're doing. It doesn't take me long to pick up a phone and ask or to find out. The president knows what his son is engaged in. Mr. Biden was the bag man. Joe Biden knew exactly what was going on and was involved. And the entire purpose was to shake down companies, shake down foreign countries for money. Because the only thing that the Biden family has to sell is political influence. There's no other business with this family. That is public corruption. And for the Democrats to hide from this and to run away from this just demonstrates how silly they're being right now. Because the truth of the matter is, is that Joe Biden was selling access to his office through his son. And in my view, that is an Jack Smith is the prosecutor who will try to go after any possible thing. And frankly, he's somewhat of, of a lunatic. We saw this with how he went after Bob McDonald, the former governor of Virginia, and that case had to be thrown out. At the end of the day, the reason why Merrick Garland chose Jack Smith is because Jack Smith will do anything, and I mean anything, to try to get a conviction. But the truth of the matter is, is that the president under the Presidential Records Act, was allowed to have documents. And now this this new stuff about how they deleted tapes at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, look, Hillary Clinton actually deleted emails. That's actually occurred. And they did nothing. What we've seen with Donald Trump, conversely, with Joe Biden, is that you have elements of FBI, you have elements of the Department of Justice that have been covering up for Joe Biden. They've been covering up for years, frankly. That's very concerning, number one. Talk to me about one federal agency that's been covering up for Donald Trump. That's never occurred. Frankly, you have elements of the DOJ who are constantly leaking information to the press about what's in these indictments and what they were presenting towards the grand jury to try to shape public opinion. Even if you listen to the last segment with Jake, everything that was just talked about is not on the minds of independent voters in America. They are focused on the things that are affecting their families. First and foremost, has my child actually caught up from being locked out of schools for two years? Is fentanyl, which is a major issue in so many communities around our country, is the, the president going to do the job of securing our border and stopping the drug cartels from having, having operational control of our southern border? Are we going to maintain the dollar as the world's reserve currency while China's trying to negotiate around the United States? Inflation, yes, the, the year-over-year number is trending down, but the impact of inflation on the American family has completely devalued their wages over the last two years. Those are the things that really matter to Americans. Republican voters want him to come back. Because he's lied to them. Hold on, stop, 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 stop. He actually did the job. You know that. And frankly, he did the job better than the current president right now. And that is indisputable. Wait, 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 Name the issue. So, so, Donald Trump I, I, did it better. Feel hostility? 
<laughs> no, no. I, again, this is so dumb. I don't even know what we're talking about, man. The only hostility I feel is this inflation hitting my pocketbook. I'll tell you that because that inflation hitting everybody, that is hostile. You wow. know, when the price of food is up, when the price of gas, which is still up, um, and the fact that fentanyl is coming into every community in, in our country because of Joe Biden, maybe the NAACP should be focused on that because I know that's hostile. Santos has a great record. I'm a citizen of Florida. I represent the state. But at the end of the day, all of his accomplishments, especially if you want to talk about the abortion ban, are not possible without the presidency of Donald Trump. You see, it took somebody to come to Washington and have the courage of his convictions to look this machine, this swamp in the face, and say, no, there's a better way. It took somebody to actually show all Republicans how the how you needed to have a spine strong enough to stand up to the media and to the Democrats up here on Capitol Hill. And last but not least, for those voters watching who are going to watch this race. Donald Trump has done this job. He did this job in an exemplary fashion. And to be totally blunt, if it wasn't for collusion that we're now seeing in the FBI colluding against his own administration when he was the commander-in-chief, his administration would have been even better for the American people. He's done the job once. We know he can do the job again. And that would be my response to the voters who are going to be watching this race. For the people out there who are Republicans, who, who have had issues with Donald Trump in the past, I will give you two words. And that name is John Fetterman. You see, the Democrats do not care about whether you want to support the nominee or not. They are about victory, and we need to be about the very same thing. And I think you just heard Congressman Stubbe probably said it better than anybody could. Look, our country's in a real problem, and you got, you got to be able to hit the ground running on day one. We know Donald Trump can do it. He did it once before. He can do it again. And if you look at our country from a foreign policy perspective, we know all the domestic issues. You guys cover it all the time. But China is on the move. They see weakness at the White House. The next commander-in-chief has got to be able to do the job of commander-in-chief on day one. We know Donald Trump can do that job. Look, I take nothing away from Governor DeSantis. He's done a great job as our governor. But the country is in a place right now where day one is going to matter for the United States. And I know Donald Trump can answer that call. President Donald J. Trump.
and that was Byron Donalds, and uh, in full support of uh, former President Donald Trump, and um, excellent, upbeat, uh, exactly what we want. Uh, we want to feel, be able to feel better about things uh, instead of always feeling down and out. So uh, good for Representative Byron Donalds for that piece. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. Now a little bit of uh, Alex Epstein. If we're really good at neutralizing climate danger using fossil fuels, what that means is it's very hard to imagine a climate problem that would be able to overwhelm us. We've already been able to neutralize most of the incredibly dangerous natural climate. So in order for fossil fuels to cause a huge climate problem, the climate changes don't just need to be one degree of warming or two degrees of warming. It needs to totally transform the climate in an unprecedented way. And yet we've already been emitting CO2 using fossil fuels for 100 plus years. So it should seem implausible that, oh, well, now it's, get, it's gotten a lot better, but it's all going to get worse and the world is going to end. And you see these numbers where they'll say, if it warms 1.5 degrees Celsius, that's the tipping point, two degrees Celsius. But that's not even from now. That's not from now. Those numbers are all from the 1800s. So we've already gotten one. So we've gotten one. Life has gotten amazing. We're safer than ever from climate. The idea is another half degree or another degree is the apocalypse. This should really make you question the thinking. And so if we look at the side effects from this perspective and you just look at mainstream climate science, it's not alarming. It's We do impact climate, but it's not an overwhelming apocalyptic impact. So just to walk you through it quickly, we've had one degree of warming over the last 70, 170 years. So that correlates, you know, and, and significant greening. If you, if you look at how that relates to, like, the temperature fluctuations in something like New York, it's very, very minor. Now, if you just – what they do is they'll, they'll create a really small y-axis, so they'll have it on a zero-to-one scale. So, oh, my gosh, it's so alarming. If you go to NASA's website, it looks like this. But that's just – that's like if you made a weight gain thing, and it went from zero to a tenth of a pound, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I gained a tenth of a pound in ten years. It's a catastrophe. It's the same kind of thing. Now, people think, oh, well, we're going to get – we're going to get – um. You know, it's, we're, we're so close to getting too warm. So, like, everyone's going to overheat if it gets at all warmer. But the fact is we have far more cold-related deaths than heat-related deaths. So actually warming for the foreseeable future, all things being equal, will, make, will save more lives than it takes. And that was Alex Epstein, back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. And now a little bit of Larry Elder. Just arrived in Washington, D.C. I'm doing the Laura Ingram show. One of the big topics is studies showing that the homicides taking place in the inner city committed by black people is because of, wait for it, structural racism. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. There was a CDC study that found a young black man aged 10 to 43 is 13 times more likely to be murdered than a young white man, same demo. Obviously, it's white supremacists who are doing this, according to people like Joe Biden. By the way, most homicides are same-race homicides. Of the black murder victims, and over half of the murder victims in this country are black people, uh, even though blacks are just 13% of the population, 90% of them are committed by other black people, just as 85% of the white victims are white perpetrators. So, is the white man causing black people to kill black people? No, it's not. The 10,000-pound elephant in the room, once again, and the reason I'm in this race for president, 
is we're not talking about the epidemic of fatherlessness. I've been on radio for 30 years. In 30 years, I've tried to get Jesse Jackson to come on, won't come on. I've tried to get Maxine Waters to come on and talk about these issues, won't come on. I've tried to get Al Sharpton to come on, talk about these issues, won't come on. Uh, Minister Farrakhan won't come on, but one so-called leader did, Kawese Mfume. And I said, Mr. Mfume, as between the presence of white racism or the absence of black fathers, which poses a bigger threat to the black community, without missing a beat, he said the absence of black fathers. Go to my website, LarryOlder.com. I need... One dollar from 40,000 individual donors to qualify for that first debate in Milwaukee to talk about some of these issues that the others are not talking about. And that was Larry Elder. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. And now, since it's Wednesday, it's time for SEAL Team 6. That wasn't the end of Norris's story, though. About six months later, he faced the jaws of adversity again. Lieutenant Norris chose Petty Officer Michael Thornton, SEAL Team 1, for a mission. Thornton selected two Vietnamese SEALs, Dong and Quan. One shaky Vietnamese officer, Thai, was also assigned to the team. They dressed in black pajamas like the VC and carried AK-47s with lots of bullets. The team rode a South Vietnamese Navy junk. U.S. Navy ships were unavailable up the South China Sea, launched a rubber boat from the junk, then patrolled on land to gather intelligence. Norris walked the point with Thornton on rear security and the Vietnamese SEALs between them. The junk had inserted them too far north, and during their patrol, they realized they were in North Vietnam. While hiding in their day layup position, the Vietnamese SEAL officer, without consulting Norris or Thornton, ordered the two Vietnamese SEALs to do a poorly planned prisoner snatch on a two-man patrol. The Vietnamese SEALs wrestled with the two enemy. Thornton rushed in and knocked out one of the enemy with his rifle butt so he couldn't alert the nearby village. The other enemy escaped and alerted about 60 North Vietnamese Army troops. Thornton said, We've got trouble. The SEALs bound the knocked-out enemy, then had Dong interrogate him when he became conscious. Norris and Dong fired at the approaching enemy. Between shots, Norris used the radio on Dong's back to call for naval gunfire support, coordinates, positions, types of rounds needed, etc. The Navy operator on the other end, his ship under enemy fire in a separate battle, seemed new at his job, unfamiliar with fire support for ground troops. Norris put down the phone to shoot more enemy. When he got back on the radio, his call had been transferred to another ship, which was also under enemy fire and unable to help. Norris and Dong moved back while firing at the enemy. Thornton put the Vietnamese lieutenant in the rear while he and Quan defended the flanks. Thornton shot several NVA, took cover, rose in a different position, and shot more. Although Thornton knew the enemy popped up from the same spot each time, they didn't know where Thornton would pop up from or how many people were with him. While maneuvering back, Thornton shot through the sand dune where the enemy heads had ducked, taking them out. After about five hours of fighting, Norris connected with a ship that could help, the Newport News. The enemy threw a Chinese communist grenade at Thornton. Thornton threw it back. The enemy threw the same grenade back. Thornton returned it. When the grenade came back the next time, Thornton dove for cover. The grenade exploded. Six pieces of shrapnel struck Thornton's back. He heard Norris call to him, Mike, buddy, Mike, buddy. Thornton played dead. Four enemy soldiers ran over Thornton's position. He shot all four. Two fell on top of him, and the other two fell backward. 
I'm all right, Thornton called. It's just shrapnel. The enemy became quiet. Now they had the 283rd NVA Battalion helping them outflank the SEALs. The SEALs began to leapfrog. Norris laid down cover fire so Thornton, Quan, and Ty could retreat. Then Thornton and his team would do the same while Norris and Dang moved back. Norris had just brought up a light anti-tank weapon, Law, to shoot when an NVA's AK-47 shot him in the face, knocking Norris off a sand dune. Norris tried to get up to return fire but passed out. Dang ran back to Thornton. Two rounds hit the radio Dang carried on his back. Where's Tommy? Thornton asked. He dead. You sure? He shot in head. Are you sure? See him fall. Stay here, I'm going back for Tommy. No, Mike, he dead. NVA coming. Y'all stay here. Thornton ran 500 yards to Norris's position through a hail of enemy fire. Several NVA neared Norris's body. Thornton gunned them down. When he reached Norris, he saw that the bullet had entered the side of Norris's head and blown out the front of his forehead. He was dead. Thornton threw the body on his shoulders in a fireman's carry and grabbed Norris's AK. Thornton had already used up eight grenades and his law rockets and was down to one or two magazines of ammo. It looked like the end for him, too. Suddenly, the first round from the Newport News came in like a mini Volkswagen flying through the air. When it exploded, it threw Thornton down a 30-foot dune. Norris's body flew over Thornton. He picked himself up and walked over to pick up Norris. Mike, buddy, Norris said. You son of a bitch, you're alive. Thornton felt a new burst of energy as he picked up Norris, put him on his shoulders, and took off running. Dong and Quan gave cover fire. The Newport News' artillery round had bought them some time, but that time was now up. Enemy rounds rained down on the seals again. Thornton reached Dong and Quan's position. Where's Ty? When Thornton went back to get Norris, the shaky Vietnamese lieutenant had disappeared into the water. Thornton looked at the two Vietnamese seals. When I yell one, Quan, lay down a base of fire. When I yell two, Dong, lay down a base of fire. Three, I'll lay down a base of fire and we'll leapfrog back to the water. Shooting and retreating as Thornton reached the water's edge, he fell. Not realizing, he'd been shot through his left calf. He picked up Norris and carried him under his arm. In the water, he felt a floundering movement. He had Norris's head under the water. Thornton got his buddy's head above water. Norris's life vest was tied to his legs, standard operating procedure for Team 2. So Thornton took off his own vest and put it on Norris, using it to keep both of them afloat. Quan fluttered in the water, the right side of his hip shot off. Thornton grabbed him and Quan hung on to Norris's life preserver. Dang helped as they kicked out to sea. Thornton could see bullets traveling through the water. Thornton prayed, Good Lord, don't let any of those hit me. Norris came too. He couldn't see the Vietnamese officer. Did we get everybody? Pushing down on Thornton, immersing him, Norris rose high enough to see the Vietnamese officer swimming far out to sea. Norris blacked out again. After swimming well out of the enemy's range of fire, Thornton and the two Vietnamese SEALs saw the Newport News, then saw it sail away, thinking the SEALs were dead. Swim south, Thornton said. He put two four-inch by four-inch battle dressings on Norris's head, but they couldn't cover the whole wound. Norris was going into shock. Another group of SEALs manning a junk searching for their buddies found the Vietnamese lieutenant and debriefed him. 
Then they found Thornton, Norris, Don, and Quan. Thornton radioed the Newport News for pickup. Once aboard the Newport News, Thornton carried Norris to medical. The medical team cleaned Norris up as best they could, but the doctor said he's never going to make it. Norris was medevaced to Da Nang. From there, they flew him to the Philippines. For Thornton's actions, he received the Medal of Honor. It is the only time a Medal of Honor recipient has rescued a Medal of Honor recipient. Years later, Thornton would help form SEAL Team 6 and serve as one of its operators. Norris survived, proving the doctor wrong. He was transferred to the Bethesda, Maryland Naval Hospital. Over the next few years, he underwent several major surgeries, as he had lost part of his skull and one eye. The Navy retired Norris, but the only easy day was yesterday. Norris returned to his childhood dream, becoming an FBI agent. In 1979, he requested a disability waiver. FBI Director William Webster said, If you can pass the same test as anybody else applying for this organization, I'll waiver your disabilities. Of course, Norris passed. Later, while serving in the FBI, Norris tried to become a member of the FBI's newly forming Hostage Rescue Team, HRT. But the FBI's bean counters and pencil pushers didn't want to allow a one-eyed man on the team. HRT founder Danny Colson said, We'll probably have to take another Congressional Medal of Honor winner with one eye if he applies, but I'll take the risk. Norris became an assault team leader. After 20 years with the FBI, he retired. He was last on the runs and swims at Bud's, and he only had one eye when he went to the FBI Academy. But Norris had fire in the gut. Some legends are passed down to Bud's trainees, but I wouldn't learn about Norris until after I became a SEAL. In such a small, tight-knit community, a SEAL's reputation, good or bad, travels fast. That reputation begins at Bud's. Norris remained the underdog throughout his careers in the teams and the FBI. Now I had to forge my own reputation. During one of our long runs, halfway through training on the island, we ran behind a truck while music played. I actually visualized myself wearing the SEAL trident. I'm either going home in a coffin or I'm going home wearing the trident. I'm going to make it through training. It felt like a vision had opened up in my mind. It was the first and only time I got a runner's high. Some guys got that runner's high repeatedly. For me, it sucked every time I ran. In third phase, dive phase, we learned underwater navigation and techniques for sabotaging ships. Some of my classmates had trouble with dive physics and pool competency, pool comps. I had difficulty treading water with tanks on and keeping my fingers above the water for five minutes. An instructor would yell, Get that other finger up, Wasden! So I would. Buds prepares us to believe we can accomplish the mission and to never surrender. No SEAL has ever been held prisoner of war. The only explicit training we receive in BUDS is to look out for each other, leave no one behind. A lot of our tactical training deals with retreats, escape, and evasion. We are taught to be mentally tough, training repeatedly until our muscles can react automatically. Looking back, I now realize that my mental toughness training started at an early age. Our planning is meticulous which shows in our briefings. 
In my encounters with the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines, I've only seen Delta Force brief as well as we do. A SEAL's belief in accomplishing the mission transcends environmental or physical obstacles that threaten to make him fail. Often, we think we're indestructible. Forever, the optimists. Even when we're outnumbered and outgunned, we still tend to think we have a chance to make it out alive and be home in time for dinner. Nevertheless, sometimes a SEAL can't find his way back to Mother Ocean and must make a choice between fighting to the death or surrendering. For many brave warriors, it's better to roll the dice on surrendering in order to live to fight another day. SEALs have incredible respect for those POWs. As SEALs, though, we believe our surrender would be giving in, and giving in is never an option. I wouldn't want to be used as some political bargaining chip against the United States. I wouldn't want to die in a cage of starvation or have my head cut off for some video to be shown around the world on the Internet. My attitude is that if the enemy wants to kill me, they're going to have to kill me now. We despise would-be dictators who wish to dominate us. Seals steer the rudders of their own destinies. Our world is a meritocracy where we are free to leave at any time. Our missions are voluntary. I can't think of a mission that wasn't. Ours is an unwritten code. It's better to burn out than to fade away. And with our last breaths, we'll take as many of the enemy with us as possible. Laura and Blake, who was just a toddler, flew out for my graduation. Blake rang the bell for me. I told him, now you never have to go to Bud's because you've already rung out. In his teenage years, he would want to become a SEAL, but I would talk him out of it. Half a dozen people in my hometown would have kids who wanted to go to Bud's. I would talk every single one of them out of it. If I'm able to talk someone out of it, I'm just saving them time because they really don't want it anyway. If I can't talk them out of it, maybe they really want it. After Bud's, we went directly to airborne training at Fort Benning, Georgia, home of the Army's Airborne and Infantry Schools. The summer was so hot that they had to run us through the sprinklers two or three times a day to cool us off. Even so... People still fell out from heat stroke and heat exhaustion. Some of the soldiers talked as if the training were the hardest thing in the world. They thought they were becoming part of some elite fighting force. Coming from Bud's, airborne training was a joke. This isn't hard, I said. You've got women here making it through the training. I felt like we could have done their two weeks of intensive training in two days. Army regulations didn't allow the instructors to drop anyone for more than 10 push-ups. One airborne instructor was a good old boy who always had a wad of red man chewing tobacco in his mouth. We tadpoles screwed around with him, wanting more push-ups. Give me 10, Navy, he said. We did 10 push-ups, then stood up. Hell no, he spit his tobacco. Too damn easy. We dropped down and did 10 more. Hell no, too damn easy. We did 10 more. At night, we went out drinking until late. For us, airborne training was a holiday. West Point gave its seniors a choice of what army school to attend during summer. Some of the officer candidates chose airborne school. Two or three would polish our boots if we told them Bud's stories. I felt like a celebrity. Seems strange thinking back on it now. They were officer candidates from the army's most prestigious school, and they were polishing my E-5 enlisted boots just so I would tell them about Bud's. 
I wasn't even a SEAL yet and had never seen combat. The West Point guys were mesmerized by our tales. Soon we had to leave our rooms for a bigger area because there were so many guys who wanted to hear us. By the end of airborne training, we had completed five static line dope on a rope jumps, meaning the parachute automatically deploys immediately after leaving the plane and there is no need to pull a ripcord. It was real and it was fun. But now the real fun would begin. And that was SEAL Team 6 by Howard Wasden. Back in a minute. Thank you, thank you. I'm Ron, your host, and the only true conservative in the United States today, bidding adios to all of the butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers out there. And until next time, be honest, be smart, be beautiful, and remember that the left has no authority, no power, and they can't win. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.